brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Welcome, everybody. This is the Aon Bite interview. And as you can see, this is a video interview because, uh, as I often like to do it, if it's a special guest and a special topic, uh, we like to do these on video and change things around to catch your attention, hopefully, catch the attention of the Aeons. And uh, either way, it's going to be good. I think you will enjoy it. With us, we have uh, the pleasure of having back, as always, Rachel Connerly. Rachel, how are you doing? Doing great. Excited to be here with you all and um, kind of on the edge of my seat about this topic. The little prep that I did for this interview had me really intrigued and I'm now very engaged as a Swedenborgian. Oh, yes, indeed. Such an underrated topic. I mean, as yeah. we've talked, uh, there are those who get all the press like uh, Carl Jung or Aleister Crowley or uh, so many others when you think about the new age. But there are those like uh, Emanuel Swedenborg or Ste Rudolf Steiner, who sort of they're sort of still in the margins of the esoteric and mystic Christianity, but their ideas are so powerful and it's always great to promote these individuals and to definitely pr promote Emanuel Swedenberg and also other amazing topics, what uh, I call, what Richard Smoley calls inner Christianity, alternative Christianity. We have the pleasure of being joined by the Reverend Richard Taffel. Richard, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. And last but not least, we've got the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you? Looks like you are in one of Swedenborg's heavens right now. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Swedenborg and I are just floating out here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it because um, Emanuel Swedenborg uh, was one of my favorite historical spiritual characters in the 80s. Uh, when I was reading about such things, because he's a mystical guy, he had a revelation, you know, I can relate to that. So, and uh, he had a, you know, cool interpretation of Christianity that I resonated with. So, wow. uh, looking forward to this. Nice. Learning more about him. Yeah, and he definitely was, again, as a, an influence, he's huge. He, uh, William Blake was part of a Swedenborg church. Uh, Githe was heavily influenced. William James Emerson, many of the, the transcendental movement. I mean, this is this is some heavy hitting stuff. This yeah. is like A-list kind of mysticism. But still, it seems, uh, I mean, I never heard of him until I read Gary Lockman's book on it about 10 years ago. So somehow I missed him. So Rich, why don't you tell us how did you encounter Swedenborg and uh, what has he done for your life or existence or just uh, humanity in general? Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for asking and thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. And uh, yeah, my spiritual biography with Swedenborg is familial. My ancestors were Swedenborg scholars and my grandfather, great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather were all Swedenborgian ministers going back to Germany and were some of the big translators and writers in the field. So a lot of ministers, uh, every generation uh, in the faith. I, though, was raised in suburban um, Philadelphia, and my parents didn't have a Swedenborg church nearby, and so they figured, well, we want to have a Sunday school for you. We want to have something else. So I was actually raised Baptist and was originally ordained American Baptist and grew up in the Baptist church, and um, the path to Swedenborg for me was, it was a lovely, you know, sort of evangelical church that I grew up in, I learned the Bible really well, which I'm always grateful for, but there was something missing for me in that. And I would say, dad, you know, the minister said this about Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. 
And I was getting in a lot of trouble, even in my teens, asking questions. They were just like, who is this guy? And my dad said, you're going to have to read your grandfather's books. So as a kid, I started reading my grandfather's books and I was like, okay, this makes sense. This gave me a way to look at the world. And then I looked into the Swedenborgian religion because I was always felt called to ministry. And I looked at it and I said, you know, this isn't really viable. It, it, the, the denomination is so small. The churches are dying. I'm a young guy. I'm, a, I'm on my way to divinity school after college. And there, you know, so American Baptist was very mainstream. Um, I got a gig in divinity school as the seminarian and then assistant minister at the chapel at Harvard under a great mentor, Peter Gomes, who was a Baptist minister. And uh, so I was kind of on that path, but Swedenborg always informed my thinking. Um, my ordination council, which is when you get ordained in the Baptist church, I won by the smallest margin of anybody in the Philadelphia Association. And they, because my theology was, what they would say was out of whack on a lot of different things. <laughs> and, um, and so I won on the smallest margin and I guess maybe they were right. And, um, but years later, as I, I moved out of, uh, uh, church as a career, well, one thing is in the, in the eighties, I came out as a gay man. And at that time, everybody just said, you've got two choices. You can either marry a woman and lie. And that's a good idea. Or you can come out and you can say goodbye to your career. Those are your options. Um, I did not think it was a good thing for ministers to be lying <laughs> to start. And so anyway, I ended up in uh, having a political career. I shifted into politics and, and kind of had my impact in that way. But then years later, I did, um, I always read Swedenborg. It always made sense to me. And I um, switched my ordination at one point. And then at another point, uh, a church in Washington, a large church, seats 300, needed a pastor. And it had four people as parishioners. And the denomination said, would you have any interest? Um, can't pay you a full-time salary, but you know, would you want to give it a shot? And I did that, started that six years ago at Church of the Holy City in Washington. So I've been preaching Swedenborg for now six years, and I'm um, much deeper into it. Uh, I often feel like uh, the reason God wanted to be, me at, be at this church is because I wouldn't be disciplined enough to study on my own. So it forces you every week to prepare a topic and you really have to get into this stuff. So it's forced me to get into it. And that's been just wonderful. Wow. Wow. And that church has a spiral staircase that goes from the basement to the top floor in the most uh, esoteric and elegant way. Yeah. The church itself was designed with um, Swedenborgian theology in it. The designer was actually a Swedenborgian. who was the um, Dean of Harvard school of architecture came down and so, yeah, the church has a stained glass story to it. And the uh, spiral is a huge, huge theme in Swedenborg's uh, spiritual evolution. We don't evolve in a linear manner. We evolve in a spiral uh, through our lives. And so, yeah, the, the architecture reflects a lot of the theology. And Rachel picked that up right away when she saw it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. <clears throat> and uh, could you explain <clears throat> more or less what separates Swedenborg Christianity from mainstream Christianity, uh, for those that might not know. I mean, for me and my listeners will, of course, understand when I read Swedenborg, I think of the word, I don't know if Dr. Stefan Heller coined it, psycho-spirituality, which kind of goes back to the hermetic Gnostic idea where God's mind is our mind and what's happening in heaven is also happening within, as above, so below, as outside. So, you know, that ancient. And Swedenborg really innovated from a, and really added to it, really, and made it a way where it could be inclusive in all of Christianity, the same Christianity that, you know, as you know, rejected the Gnostics, rejected gays, rejected women. And Swedenborg came with an amazing solution to it. Yeah, that's a, actually, that's a very good point. I would say maybe one of the most powerful concepts in Swedenborg's view versus maybe traditional Christianity is the idea that um, thoughts are things. We are living in heaven and hell on this sphere. We are connected to spiritual communities on this sphere. So it's not, it's not a disconnect and that um, what, go, what, you're, what you're thinking, what your intentions, these have huge implications. And so your thoughts are things. And that did spawn a lot of uh, religious thinking in America based on that 
concept alone. Even the phrase, the new age, as we know it, was taken from a Swedenborgian sermon uh, with Swedenborg's name in it called the, the Messenger of the New Age, Emanuel Swedenborg, um, by a Swedenborgian minister. And that became the phrase, the, that's where the, we get the phrase, the new age. But it also affected groups like Christian science and even the gospel of, of prosperity, where it's sort of what you think is, is what's going to happen. I would say those two are not necessarily, not Swedenborgian per se, but it just shows the impact that your thoughts are things and they actually impact your health, for example. Homeopathy was a, uh, grew out of uh, Swedenborgian's teachings in the United States. And my ancestors opened the first homeopathic uh, pharmacy in the country in Philadelphia um, back in the day. What makes it different? That's a really good question that contrasting it. I would say the biggest differences in Swedenborgian view of Christianity versus the traditional Christianity that I grew up in, fundamentally, uh, in my church, we had a uh, that I grew up in. We had a a tract in the church. Are the heathen saved? And you open it up, and it was a big N O. No, um, you know that's what I was taught. And so Swedenborg has this this astral projection view of heaven and hell, and he says, I saw all faiths there. I saw people of all different backgrounds and people of no background. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. It doesn't matter what rituals or doctrine you have. Did you love your neighbor? Were you kind? Did you seek to be a better person? Were you forgiving? These are the paths to heaven. Were you self-important, selfish, domineering, controlling, and cruel? You would choose um, not to be in heaven, and that would be a hell. No one's condemned to hell. That was another big difference, that people choose that path as an act of freedom, but it's not a condemnation. It's no one's thrown into. I was raised in a church where there's an angry God on a throne who kind of judges you based on what your beliefs are. That never made sense. So that might be the biggest uh, difference. One of his quotes is that all faith paths are good. And in Revelation, there's this 12 gates to the holy city. He says those are just 12 different ways that the whole world of people, all different pathways. Um, and in some of his visits to the afterlife, he's embarrassed frankly, by the Christians. Uh, and they have a, not a great reputation in, in some places. And people of other faiths, including some Eastern religions, um, have um, you know, a better reputation uh, because of what they've developed on earth. That would be the, I think that's fundamentally the biggest one. One is that um, God is love. And so there is no shame or fear in God. There's no condemnation. No one is, like I said, no one's condemned to hell. God is never angry at us. But God loves us and wants to direct our lives to the best. But we're all. We're, but a universal principle would be the freedom not to choose that. But it's a very loving. It's a very inclusive. It's a. It's a beautiful God. The God that I was raised with was really um, almost a, an angry father figure in many ways. And so that would be, I would say, the biggest contrast. It's just very. It's, it's really about how you live your life. And every day we're faced with decisions. And how we behave in those decisions is kind of a decision toward heaven or hellish energy. And our life is just meant to constantly grow to be a better person, use every opportunity to grow, and God never gives up. And uh, that I think that if I would boil it down, that would be the biggest difference. Um, we don't take the Bible literally, as, I, as they did in my church, for example. We see it as a um, almost a parable, a correspondential book that you would read at a deeper level. There are certain things in there, of course, that um, probably, you know, that happened. But for the most part, it's meant to be read at a, a more spiritual level. So there's actually a deeper meaning to the entire scriptures. That would be a big difference. Um, the, the role of Jesus on the cross, and, and, and I can get more into theology if you're, if you're curious, but basically we wouldn't uh, ascribe to that Jesus had to die on the cross to bleed, and therefore the blood freezes of our sins and we're washed in we wouldn't have any of that, that Jesus overcame the hells uh, and overcame evil. It's a path for us to, in our lifetime to, to love more, hate less, and overcome evil. We do believe evil is very real and that uh, we're facing those choices every day between being a little bit better or being a little bit worse. And some people choose, uh, outright choose evil on this sphere, and uh, that's their free will to do it. And so we have to uh, combat that while we're here on earth. So those would be some of the major concepts, um, but it's quite, those are, that, I'd say that's the, the most different. That would be the most different.
Yeah, yeah, Rich, I was um, listening to a podcast about that, that, you know, about people choosing evil and it shaping them. And I guess we choose it through our our thoughts and actions and attitudes, Um, but it shapes us even the way we look, or is that, does that sound right? And then um, that, that heaven is pressing down on us and hell is pushing on us too every day, all day, and heaven is a little stronger, maybe? Um, yeah, I would say it's basically that uh, we, are, we are constantly being, we're constantly feeling the presence mm. of both worlds, you know, the energy, and that we're constantly be giving free will a choice. And, and, uh, and there are, yeah, definitely presence around us. But as far as who's stronger, obviously, I would say that the good is stronger, but that, that, but if I choose and cultivate the um, evil thoughts, mm-hmm. then, it, but there really is like a cultivation. Mm-hmm. Um, physical change, one of the things he does describe in the next life is that our physical look, because there are bodies in the next sphere, um, they resemble much more of our inner life. There's no hiding. So that people who have embraced evil are pretty uh, frightening creatures. And and people who have embraced love are in the uh, the beauty of their life, a very healthy period of their life. They, they, the old, there's an expression: the older you get in heaven, the younger you get. Um, so it's a very it's a very beautiful thing. And another nice contrast is that uh, at the time there was taught that children who died, if they were not baptized by a priest, would go to hell. He says that's absolutely not true, and that children transition right to heaven and are are beautiful uh, spirits there too. So that's another lovely uh, contrast. But yeah, there is this tension between mm-hmm. good and evil. And uh, it's, he describes in detail how it works. Uh, just as a quick example, uh, with evil, you, it, it will say to you, uh, you know, the dark forces will say like, you know, do this, do this, do this repetitively, you know, and you'll mm-hmm. hear it, you know, um, and it, you know, it's, it's not a good thought and you do it. And then it says, oh, how dare you? How dare you think that? That's so disgusting. You're a terrible person. And look at you did. So it's, that's the cycle that they want to get you into. Um, and then it's, it's uh, it, you know, the more you pulled into that spiral, the more challenging it is to break out of it. And um, the other way is if you've been putting on your spiritual armor, so to speak, you've been, you've been really trying to be more compassionate, caring, loving, and choosing that path and, and not giving into the desire to be self-important, selfish, um, domineering and all that. And uh, that, that also gets easier too. Like uh, the, the, they don't quite have sway over you. It's not like uh, it, it should get easier. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Does know, that answer the, your question? It does. And the inspiration for having you on was a previous guest of Miguel's, Jerry Marzinski, who was a prison psychologist. And you just corroborated what, what he said he experienced with so many of the inmates. And that is that they were just constantly chastising and criticizing and bombarding um, his patients with just horrible, horrible messages. And that it was one of the most common paths into Swedenborg today, mm-hmm. I would say, is through psychology. That's why when Miguel mentioned that at the beginning, I think you really nailed it um, because he predates psychology as we know it, though Henry James is an ardent Swedenborg and William James, the founder of. Uh, Psychology in the United States is, is a student of Swedenborg. But um, a lot of prison, it's interesting it's happening in prisons because prisons would be the earthly companion to hell. Um, that they're really dealing with people's hallucinations, their, uh, how their mind works. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Van Dusen wrote a book called The uh, Presence of um, Spirits in Madness, or I think that's the title. And um, I think that's it. But he, he really, so many people, because he was a, at a prison as a therapist and he kept seeing these same behaviors over and over again and couldn't put, psychology didn't give him a way to really explain what was going on. And, um, and he, when he read Swedenborg, it was like, ah, okay, this is, this is describing this uh, dark side, even to the point where the presence around people at times would say like, you leave us alone. You have no role here. We are, you know, and we're very creepy stuff, but very common among people in that field uh, that they, they keep experiencing that. So Swedenborg was a way in for a lot of people in that field. And Van Dusen's book is probably one of the most common ways people have come to Swedenborg in the modern times 
is through psychology and understanding their own thoughts. And also when you're dealing, one of the touchy subjects would be mental health and mental illness and how you deal with it. And uh, I will just say that in my, people might think that my views on that are very esoteric and strange that I believe they're spirits and so forth, but we are really at a loss in our therapeutic community to explain so much behavior. Um, You know, somebody shoots up a group of people, a young kids and says, I was told to do it. And we say, well, you know, clearly schizophrenic, but that doesn't really explain what I mean. Take it. What do you mean? What, why, why, why did that? Well, they were abused or we try to figure it out, but we really um, were quite limited in explaining acts of madness and, um, and acts of evil as we're actually experiencing, as we're recording this today, globally. Uh, or experience an active evil. There's no real, from my perspective, it, it really is, it's not a win for the, you know, and I'm speaking about Russia today, but there's not a win for the people of Russia. It's not going to be a win for the people of Ukraine. It's, it's going to be very bad for the world, but it is someone driven by, uh, you know, a certain rationale. So it has implications at the, the highest levels and at the lowest levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 100% right. I mean, I spent half of my life, as many here know, 20 years of my life addicted to cocaine, crime, all that. And there was no rational reason. It's only I went the spiritual path that suddenly it made sense. And uh, I, individuals like Swedenborg attest that there is a spiritual world out there, that they are the negative spirits, and uh, there are the solutions there. And uh, for the audience too, it's important to know that Swedenborg, I put him on the same category, let's say somebody like Isaac Newton, a man who was both a scientific, Goethe, another example, complete scientific genius. I mean, he broke ground on so much. The first ever drawings, uh, logical drawings of uh, air flight, you know, people call him the, the Swedish da Vinci. So he worked for the government. I mean, this guy was just a, a genius, a polymath, at the same time, he was a rabid mystic too. And these two can coexist in a reason and spirituality. Swedenborg, Isaac Newton, Carl Jung, uh, Albert Einstein can show us this is the way, path of humanity, that, uh, that middle road. So, and for those who are skeptical, if you read enough Swedenborg, you start finding out that some of his visitations, when people ask him for uh, proof like what would my husband want or something he would do these astral flights and come back with the logic with the answer that only that person who knew the deceased would know so he proved logically scientifically that hey i'm not just hallucinating these things i'm actually having an experience with higher worlds so uh before i get into a tangent vance do you have a question or what do you think yeah, I was wondering um, what Swedenborgianism, uh, Swedenborgianism uh, has to say about the um, the nature of evil. You know, how did you know how did God um, wind up creating a universe that has evil in it, all these evil spirits and so forth? Um, well, that's a great question. You know, I, I think a traditional Christianity would have taught there's a a, a counter influence to God called Satan. We don't believe in Satan as a being such as that. There are not multiple gods out there fighting. But basically, it's built on the concept of freedom that uh, if the purpose of life is to learn to love and the purpose of life is to love God and your neighbor, and that is the purpose of humanity and creation, and it's about love, it starts with love, that the only way you can really have love is if you have a choice. If there's no choice, you're basically an automaton. You just have to basically, you're, you're, you would, if you said, I love God, but there's no choice. So evil is that choice. And, um, and so, so that's, that's the role of evil. However, he also says that in every circumstance where evil is present, the angels are working to constantly bend it toward good, mm-hmm. even horrible things. And it makes me think in certain situations that uh, happen in the world that, uh, you know, it could have been worse sort of thing. Um, And that in our own life, I'm speaking for myself, the moments that I would say were the worst, you know, I gave that story of me as a young guy and I'm being discriminated against and told I've got to lie to go this path or I've got to give up my that is a, uh, you know, probably one of the best moments of my life in retrospect. It was horrible at the time and very lonely and depressing. 
but working through that dark night of the soul, you know, and that what I would have said I was encountering evil, um, developed my spiritual wings. It developed a different way of looking at things and a, and a skepticism of the church that would, you know, a, a Christian church that would say such things. And, um, and it took me on a different path. And I'm inc incredibly grateful that it took me on a path into the world of business and it took me on the path in the world of politics. And I can now incorporate that into my faith work. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a very cool thing. I'd be a very, uh, I'd be a much more fragile pastor if I, all I did was went to college, divinity school and had a church my whole life. So again, um, evil, is a evil is the product of choice. We are called in this earth though, to combat evil. So there is a social justice aspect to it. And there is um, a lot of people, when they think of mystics, they think that they're, um, ex they're, they're outside society. They're in a, a retreat center by themselves, not talking to anybody and just focused on themselves. In our faith, it's very much, you must be engaged in the world. You've got to be in, in discussions like this, for example, but you've got to be engaged in civil life, moral life. You've got to try to make the world a better place. You have an obligation. So people like Helen Keller, for example, who was a, you know, one of America's most famous social activists was a Swedenborgian, wrote a book called My Religion about uh, her insights from Swedenborg. But her point was, but you have to be active in the world. In fact, I found a sermon of hers preaching at my church, Church of the Holy City in the 20s. And she said, you Swedenborgians at this time to a church, maybe with 300, are so focused on your teachings and you're not engaged in the world that in a hundred years, this will be empty because you're not engaged. And she was, it was a prophetic uh, preaching. So you, you, you can't just kind of, well, there's evil in the world. No, it's what am I doing to stand up to it? How do I figure out what I need to do in my own life personally, when I confront it in within myself and, uh, and in the world, the hardest part is within ourselves, the challenges to, to, you know, weed out the stuff that we don't want. And, and grow to be kinder people. Does that, is that, uh, does that give us some perspective on, on why evil? Yeah, yeah, I, I very much. It's a tough topic. And I mean, it's, it's, there's a whole theology of the, theodicy, you know, on that topic. It's a tough one to figure out how loving God allows, particularly horrible things like, uh, well, the 20th century, you know, it wasn't just, <laughs> it was the Holocaust, it was uh, Russia, China. I mean, major, major genocides. And now we're kind of thought, that was all in the movies and that's in the past and something that our grandparents experienced. And now, you know, we're looking at Europe uh, for the first time under assault. So evil's uh, ever present. How about how, the, how did he think of, um, of God? Did he imagine God as a, you know, the, the uh, big guy with the great, you know, the white beard and singular human type consciousness, single pointed localized consciousness, or did he imagine, you know, God being a lot more, uh, uh, ineffable, so to speak. Definitely on the ineffable side of the, the source of all creation, which is, you know, love and uh, truth. And, uh, um, but the closest analogy, because it's beyond our imagination and our attempts to put God into a human form, like a, um, you know, an old man on a chair um, judging the world is really probably Christians taking that from uh, say, you know, uh, Zeus, um, you know, um, or, or Greek, Greek mythology, stuff like that. It's, um, but it, it, and human beings are naturally going to probably try to do that, but no, it would be definitely ineffable. It would be the, you know, um, the source of everything, the source of life, uh, love. Uh, um, so yeah, it would, and uh, maybe the best analogy for, for us on this sphere might be the sun, but you can experience it all the time. You can block it if you want. But it's what if it if it for a minute would stop every life form would stop so that that kind of is the analogy I use in my own head but um, I remember as a kid I, I was reading Swedenborg and I was like he says God's everywhere and sees everything and as a kid you know and I drew a picture of a, a blob with eyeballs and you know when I was ten <laughs> and and you know I was trying to get my head around that like he sees everything has to be a thing and uh, so it's very limiting for uh, people to try to put God into a form because it's not going to work. And it's going to be very frustrating to lock it into a, a guy on a chair who sits there. Yeah, I, I, I remember that about Swedenborg. I guess one of the things that attracted me uh, to him. Mm. Very cool. Rachel, any questions? What do you think? 
Well, there was something I ran across that Swedenborg said that had to do with how we can kind of um, deal with evil. And it is consistent with what Jerry Marzinski was saying. You know, he says we can call on the name of Jesus. I mean, he saw this with the prisoners, you know, that they could call on the higher uh, one true God and be um, changed and be protected. So I just, I wanted to read uh, this this quote from Swedenborg and get uh, any, anybody's response. He said, it also needs to be recognized that all evil flows in from hell and all goodness from the Lord through heaven. The only reason evil is ever assigned to us as ours is that we believe and convince ourselves that we think it up and we do it on our own. So we make it ours. If we believed the fact of the matter, we would be assigned not evil, but goodness that comes from the Lord. That is because the moment evil flowed in, we would think this is from the evil spirits with us. And when we did, the angels would turn it away and cast it aside. Angelic influences act on what we know and believe. That's so interesting to me. Angelic influences act on what we know and believe, not on what we do not know or believe. It attaches only when there is something in us to attach to. So, I mean, this, I tell you what, the heavens opened for me when I read this. It's consistent with my experience, but it is even more powerful than what I had let myself really consider. So... Yeah, he he. That's a. That's, he he actually says that the evil forces will scan our lives to find our most embarrassing moments, and things that we're ashamed of, and bring them out and say, you know, you're a fraud. Nobody really. If anybody really knew who you were, they would know that you're really. If anybody ever knew what you think, you're really disgusting. So it's. But it it always it can only they can only grab on to something that's really within us. Mm -hmm. And I will say, Rachel, in my life, and hopefully as I've grown more mature spiritually, there are times where I'll just say, and maybe you've had this experience, where did that idea come from? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, very often, it's uh, just a quick example. I'm, I'm taking the train back from New York. A woman asked me to put my mask on because that's the rule. And I was drinking and I was, and it was very, she was very polite. Mm -hmm. um, but a part of me just kind of like, well, this is sort of stupid. And I'm drinking, you know, but I mean, I kind of snapped at her. I didn't, I didn't snap at her out loud. Thank God. I was like, Oh no, no. I mean, you know, whatever, you know, it'll change in a couple of days, but I was, but the fact that she had corrected me or told me to do something that I didn't, you know, necessarily, but my reaction to her was so disproportionate privately. Like mm -hmm. I was just like, you know, like almost calling her name in my head and why are you bothering me? And I, you know, I didn't kind of, that's just like on an ongoing basis. I find myself reacting to people sometimes and just with, you know, a horrible word. Um, and uh, in my head that I'd be embarrassed that anybody would know. Mm -hmm. So that's when they're getting in, mm -hmm. um, you know, when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, um, they, they, that's when they, they get in. And sometimes even if I, you know, I don't usually raise my voice, but if I do, I'm sometimes I will step outside of myself and say, like, who is this? Like, why am I like, what is going on, Rich? Like, why, what's triggering you? It can't be that big of a deal, but something's really got you going. So I wouldn't say it's necessarily done demonically possessed in that sense, but it, yeah, in a way I feel like, yeah, I'm opening myself up to those energies and they know what I'm most embarrassed about. And they've got my top 10 and they'll sort, they'll bring them up at various times. And this guy, Jerry, I, 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 I have a feeling he reads Swedenborg because uh, yeah, the way he he's, can, does he? Oh, he yeah, does. Okay. He said, yeah. Oh, he did. Yeah. Because uh, again, I've read a lot of these um, particularly uh, people working with mental health in a crisis. So it tends to be mental health in prisons, right? Mm -hmm. That would be, and he does say that uh, just saying like the Lord's prayer, the 23rd Psalm yes. or just a phrase. Yes. And, uh, and I will say in my own life, because I am weird, you know, spiritually, this is odd stuff that we're talking about for most traditional people. What it also means is that, that anybody who has a weird spiritual experience, like mm -hmm. a demonic or, you know, feeling or a bad, horrible dream, they can't get out of their head. They can't talk to their priest. They can't talk to the minister. They, or they're just speculative. They've never been in anything. They will call. And I keep hearing the same themes again and again from people who would never, I mean, very prominent, successful people 
who wouldn't be so embarrassed to know, but they are wrestling with, you could say wrestling with demons. And I, just by saying, yeah, I think it's real. And I think that's, there's a way to deal with it. And here's some strategies that might work for you. It's just very calming for people. Um, and it does work. So I think he, uh, I'll have to study more about him because um, I, he's really onto something about saying certain phrases seem to trigger them and, uh, and so forth. So I think you're really onto something with his work. He's all over YouTube. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll send you a link. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. But you know, what this means to me is the angels have our backs and totally. all we have to do is say, no, that's not a good voice. That's something bad. You know, those evil ones are talking to me and then the angels are just going to smack them down according to this. That's what they want to do. They want, they really want to, and they're, they're a little, uh, as far as voices in our head, if you want to say the angelic voices are less uh, like audible, so to speak, and they're less violent like in like smacking but the forces the dark forces are very audible they're very crystal clear yeah like they speak very clearly as if you've as if it's your thought and uh yes and the um and they're usually violent or you know physical in, in what they what they're asking you to do um but you're right that's a very that is a very calming thing and there's a beautiful passage that when we feel the furthest from god the angels are closest to us mm. if we allow them but we may not feel that, but they're really rooting for us. They're working for us. It's all very good. Um, and we go through those temptations in the same way that Jesus did in his life. And then overcoming them, that's how we grow spiritually. And we become stronger uh, after going through these and we can help more people. Mm -hmm. At the mm -hmm. same time though, can't these uh, archons with Teak, all that, they also can promise you the world or the girl or the job or the money, you know, Satan telling Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world will be you. So they're allowed not just in making you, giving you imposter syndrome, which they're doing, but also tempting you with, uh, you know, what gain the whole world and lose your own soul, right? Well, you just summed it up. That's exactly that's exactly my experience. I live in Washington D.C. Um, I do a lot of Speaking strategy, of, uh, yeah, the, policy, the and coaching. <laughs> and you know, this is a place where people have done that bargain. I mean, there is what we would call psychological and psych psychotherapy terms narcissism. People who um, I will uh, I will look at you solely as a transaction, mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. As soon as I find out that you can't advance my career, I will move to the next person in the room. And um, it's very, it's got, you know, a lot of DC has that energy. It's the, the class presidents, you know, it's a, a city full of class presidents and, they, and the narcissism. And, um, and I'm, I'm somewhat sympathetic because I don't have that. That's not my gift. I, uh, I never really care what people think but they're constantly gauging the room. They need 51% of any room they're in constantly to gauge it. Um, and so, yeah, it's exactly what you just said is that uh, that temptation to gain the world, but lose your soul. I've used that with many people. Like they'll say, what do you think? Um, I, I've got a, an op, uh, I do a lot of coaching too. And they'll be like, what do you think? I have this chance to do this and I have this chance to do that. And, um, and I'll be like, yeah, you know, you could, you will make a lot of money. The truth is those voices are correct. You will be well-known. You will have power over a lot of people. You will make a lot of money, very likely. It doesn't usually go very well in the, in any, even on this sphere, in the long haul. Um, I'm also the person that people call on their way down when the new administration comes in and they they were the, the hot commodity and now nobody, now they can't get a job. And, um, so, so I, you, you really summed it up well when you said, um, try to gain the world and lose your soul and making the promises of you get the right girl, you'll get the right career, you'll get the right office, you'll have the right title. People will immediately respect you um, because of all this. And it's what we all crave at some level. We all have that craving to be recognized and to be respected and honored and powerful, um, but it becomes all consuming. And then we can see where that, we can see where that goes. 
Well said. Yeah. And um, for uh, <clears throat> for the audience, at Swedenborg, he was uh, he had his mystic experiences later in life. But again, mm -hmm. he was a scientist. He had troubles with the church. Uh, really, a, a remarkable life. He was uh, a bachelor almost of his life, right? And uh, there's one scene where he says, "Yeah, when you get to heaven." you'll find the lover that you deserve. It may not be your wife. So I'm like, hmm, Raquel Welsh, Tanya? No, just kidding, just kidding. Okay, better not. <laughs> but uh, for Rich, for uh, I'm just trying to give a little more context to a remarkable life, but for the church, do what would a Swedenborg service do? Um, what I'm asking is he, again, in his middle age, he had these astral travels out of bodies. And again, these could have been inward journeys, is that something the church promises, or is that something that only the founder could do? Great question. So you're right. He lives a whole life uh, as a very respected scientist. He's a Renaissance man. He's traveling all over Europe. He's studying with all the latest thinkers. He's in conversation with everybody. And then he says, with the Enlightenment, why can't we find the soul? You know, why can't we physically find the soul? It has to be in the head, because we know when someone's guillotined, they... They, that's it, but if they lose their legs or whatever. So he's really using this enlightenment. And in that, um, he's clearly being prepared, if you believe his story, he's being prepared for a spiritual path. He has then these visions, astral projection, you could say to heaven, hell, a world of spirits and visions. And they say, you're the scientist, write it down. And he writes probably more than anybody in that, uh, certainly in those uh, decades. And he does, he records it all. And he's still an advisor to the King of Sweden on mines, which in our day would be like the, the energy industry of a country. So he's very highly respected, noble family. Um, you're right, he is a bachelor and he just uh, uses his uh, resources to be able to write and have these visions and that, but he's engaged in, in, in the world. So what does he say? So, so um, you either have to believe, everybody kind of respects Swedenborg pre these visions. You either have to believe that he had a mental breakdown, which certainly people would say that that looks like a mental breakdown, but he's consistently advising the Kings and the you know, lines. He's still doing all of his daily activities. So it'd be very, it's kind of a hard argument and his writings are very consistent. You may not agree with them, but it's not like the rantings of a crazy person, but that would be a, a, a certainly a view people could have. What does he say about uh, us traveling into that? That's a, that's a very interesting topic for Swedenborgians. First of all, he writes the books anonymously and, and says, I'm not starting a church. So he never starts a church. People find his readings such, so influential, sort of like my story. Like, uh, I don't know if I would be in traditional Christianity if I was left just to traditional Christianity. But these insights make it so much more interesting and real and true. So these followers are created and they have a big debate. Do we create a church? And that's where William Blake comes in. He actually goes to the first organizing meeting in, in England for a Swedenborg society. And so does decide to create a church and they create them in uh, the UK and in Europe and in the United States. And uh, it's quite influential in the United States. I mean, it is mind boggling that I was in Michigan recently and I didn't know that at one point they were gonna name the capital of Michigan Swedenborg. Really? Uh, Ann Arbor is a Swedenborgian couple. Johnny Appleseed, who settles all of yeah. Ohio, is uh, a Swedenborgian ministry. Uh, um, Daniel Burnham, who designs the city of Chicago, designs it on the Book of Revelations based on Swedenborg. Uh, Burnham's family, Sophie Burnham, marries uh, Bill Wilson and bases the 12 steps on a quote from Swedenborg's 12 steps to heaven. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it just has this incredible influence. But it, he says in his writings, it doesn't have to be a church, what I'm saying. It will influence the world without a church. So that's a very interesting. The church was not really, he wasn't a founder of the, of the denomination. Um, but it's a, it's a hard call whether it should exist or not exist. And it's a debate even within the church itself. But we certainly imitated the old church, which I would argue was a mistake. We look a lot like uh, the previous church. And uh, my church in DC is gorgeous, but it is a classic, beautiful sanctuary with the Swedenborgian architecture, but still very much churchy. And the ministers wore robes and they kind of did their service off of a, you know, an Anglican worship service. What we do today in my church community, we're most mostly uh, on Zoom um, and we've got people all over the place, but um, just to lay it out for you very quickly, you know, music, prayer, scripture readings, people do, I do a sermon, we do group prayer, benediction, 
That's about a half hour. And then we have a discussion. And that I think is the real game changer. For a half hour or more, people can challenge this uh, old guy with white hair um, who just gave a sermon and say, I don't agree with that. Um, or I don't. And so that is a, tr I, I work with a lot of young people. Our, our group started with uh, four people average age 70 and the average age now is 35. Many of my people are, uh, have no church, zero. They often say to me, wow, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. I had no idea where that came from. I've heard it my whole life. I've heard it in literature. They have no anything. And it's an eclectic mix and I love it. And I keep telling people to try to be tolerant of different people's beliefs. And then I'm, I think the dialogue, and um, we didn't really mention this in the beginning, but my connection with Rachel is that she is the preeminent teacher of the collaborative operating system, which is to me the best uh, organizing tool for meetings and events. And I literally use it on a weekly basis. I run now every meeting through it and I do a lot of consulting. Um, I run and, and it, teaches you how to facilitate a discussion. So it's a facilitated discussion and it's very powerful because it's powerful for me because people say, I didn't, that point you were making, I didn't get, or can you go deeper on that? Or actually, can I, can I share an experience I had with that? And it just is so much more interesting. So that I think is the future of church from my perspective. It's, it's gonna break out of the norms of kind of an older man with robes who says, I've got the truth. I studied this stuff. You sit down and you do what I tell you to do. That is not going to fly at all with the next generation. Um, and it, the, the next generation has never, when they've come in, have never asked me, Rich, what's your view on the Trinity, which would have been a defining thing in the 1870s. They say, do you ordain gays? Do you ordain women? Uh, are you welcoming? You know, uh, what's your, what, are you focused on, on dealing with racial issues? Like what do you care about? Are you involved in the world? And um, they just, they want to do good. And they want a faith that informs their moral decisions and ethics because they have no place to get it right now. I work a lot in, in my other career right now. I also am a head of a social impact practice. I work with a lot of startups that are seeking investment. And it's clear is that they have no place to say, go for ethics or moral teachings. Wow. And um, the, the business schools, uh, they, you know, they're turning out a generation of kids who it's all utilitarian. Like, look, it's the greatest profit for you. You know, that's your success will be how many did you sell? How much money did you make? What status did you get? And uh, they all know that that's, to quote you earlier, gain the world, but lose your soul they're all losing their souls and they're haven't been taught that they had souls, but there's some essence within them that is crying out for something much deeper in the world. And so they're looking for something. They're not looking to be uh, frightened into a faith, shamed into a faith. Um, I often joke with them when they say they can't make it Sunday. I say, well, you know, you better, or, you know, how am I going to keep you out of hell? And so it's just known. It's just, it's just, it's, it's a good laugh. But I mean, the fact that there are organizing groups that that would be a message, you know, we haven't seen you, you know, maybe you're, maybe Satan's got you. So bad, bad, bad. Yeah. So um, yeah, so that's kind of, it really is, I'm trying to create a place where you can develop your moral life and your ethical life on your faith path. And I'm not going to dictate to you what it is. I'll tell you what I can teach you. I can share my beliefs. I hope you find them interesting. If you don't, you probably won't come back, but uh, on your path. What's on your, I completely respect your path. And that could be, I work very closely with say Christian Muslim dialogue and I would respect a Muslim on their path. I wouldn't say, you know, let's, let's talk about how we believe in Jesus before we go anywhere. So that's kind of how it's structured. And um, I'm also developing a pro, a, we've been doing a project at our church called spiritual entrepreneurship, which coaches you on your inner life, but also on whatever you wanna create your business, your political activism, how do you put that into the world? And how do you marry the inner life and the outer life? Right now we're bifurcated. Kids are being taught to go either, you know, inner life means you're, you're not going to be successful financially and you're going to have to just sort of suck it up and be a thoughtful person, or you're going to be very wealthy and respected and make a lot of money, but gain the world, but lose your soul and have probably some sort of breakdown at some point in your life. So I'm trying to bridge those two. I'm trying to say, yeah, you could actually develop your inner life and have a moral compass. And also, 
I can tell you what a 501c3 is and an LLC is, and I can tell you legally how to be represented, and I can give you lawyers, and I can get you accounts. I work in an accounting firm now because I'm so bad at it. It's another place God wanted me to learn. <laughs> and I'm surrounded by 300 accountants in Washington, and I think to myself, you know, like, this is my weak spot. And I've, I've come to totally respect numbers. And I can help people with that because most creatives, many creatives, are like me. They've got a vision. But the idea of, oh, you mean I've got to pay my own tax? I've got to pay taxes on that? Um, so that's the kind of world. And so we've been doing a lot of um, incubating of spiritual entrepreneurs uh, at the church as well. And current, thinking of it in those terms. Wow. Wow. What a great way to leverage uh, all of Swedenborg's amazing work, Rich. You know, I had the um, good fortune to walk around D.C. with you. And I, I remember just being sort of amazed at the way you handled people and trafficked with people. And, and I asked you about it, like, why are you giving this person the time of day was sort of my attitude. And you, you said, you know, I, I really believe that everybody in front of me, God put them in front of me. And, um, and so I regard them that way. And, and that's actually very Swedenborgian, if I'm correct. Yeah, because he said, and this goes back to the new thought uh, movement, um, which to my mind must've started with Swedenborg or about that time. Yeah. It seems like it actually got its legs then, yeah. but, um, the new thought movement is, um, Swedenborg differed slightly from, uh, the law of attraction that's so popular today mm -hmm. in that he said, you know, like are drawn to like, but not by their own will but by the Lord. So the Lord is drawing us to the goodness or the, the like that we're putting out. And I just wondered if you had any comments on that. Uh, well, definitely the point about the new age, because that phrase did come up. And the, so let's, if you're talking about um, manifest, manifesting um, um, the secret, the biggest difference would be that we, we would say every new action in the world started as a thought. I mean, it literally all thought, you, you can't create something without thinking about it first. Right. And that's what prayer really is. You're creating a thought and it's a petition and it can seem far-fetched. I'll be doing a prayer service for Ukraine. I have no idea really in my practical self what this will do, but I'm trusting that you know, I'm putting a thought and I'm engaging, but I don't really know uh, how effective I'll be at, at uh, ending that horror right there. So there's, you're right, but the... Um, but asking for things for yourself, like uh, manifesting, and I do have, we've had numerous members through time who've said, like, I'm just manifesting. And I, was, I would say to them, what are you doing about it? I mean, <laughs> what are you doing about it? I'm manifesting a job. I'm manifesting this change in the world. No, actually, what, what do you, why don't you go out and organize to, for that effort? Or, or you, you, it would be helpful if you put out some applications so that God can help you get a job. Because, oh, no, I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm manifesting it. And if you just manifest it and you create a vision board. Um, so I actually think vision boards and things like that are actually quite powerful in that they're um, in journaling and petitioning. They're putting your mind. And Swedenborg says the angels just change direction. You know, you're just changing your direction. But the idea that you're not going to be active in the world, would, that's where we would differ. He has a very profound theology of being useful. And says that we're all created very differently, that God loves diversity and that we have a diverse purpose. None of us are the same and just to be useful. And we um, and it could, all different levels of that uh, are valuable at whatever level. Not everybody. You know, so we doesn't look at, at a hierarchy of uses. Any use that you are in the world is, is a beautiful thing. But when people say, I'm I'm just waiting mm -hmm. and petitioning that and not being useful, so to speak, it, it can fall into a spiritual narcissism, like, and then they get mad and they say, I don't believe because I didn't get. And so that would be the difference, but you're right. New thought and that phrase, the new age, it all comes out of Swedenborgian ministers in the, in the New England area at that time are reading Swedenborg and Mesmer and um, all that kind of stuff. And, and they're, they're trying to put it all together and figure it out. And a lot of creativity comes out in the transcendental movement as well. It seems like being useful is a big part of the esoteric Christianity in general. Steiner 
thought the same thing. The Rosicrucians mm -hmm. uh, talk about that. And so. Ibn says that in heaven, uh, the idea that we're going to rest eternally is not true, that we're all useful. So some people are useful here. I realized, whoop, getting a little feedback there. I realized I didn't ask, uh, answer Miguel's question earlier when he asked me about, do we, would we believe, say, in seances or mediumship? I think that's kind of what you're getting at. There's a movie out right now whose title I cannot remember, popular movie. It's a horror movie where this professor moves into a town and uh, the Swedenborgians are having seances um, and dealing with evil spirits. And they're reading um, Swedenborg's mm -hmm. Heaven and Hell uh, in, the, in the movie. Wow. And the title escapes me right now. I could, we could dig it up. It's, it's, it's at theaters within the last year. That it, Swedenborg said, be very careful engaging with the other side mm -hmm. um, and, and, and did not encourage seances and mediumship, even though he is considered the, uh, one of the leading mediums, I guess, by many. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who got very into that esoterica world, looked at Swedenborg as his, his hero. But Swedenborg says, be very careful. I've been given this ability. But when you do get on that line, it's a little bit like uh, a phone line, the old phone lines, like the voices that get on there can impersonate and dark forces will often come in and say, I'm your grandmother or whatever. And, 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 and he's pretty discouraging despite him having these experiences. That said, and now we're 200 years later in spiritual evolution, I will say that my life is uh, constantly having epiphanies of the other world um, that have guided my life. I've had them in dreams. Uh, people who pass very often come to me in dreams. Um, so much so that friends will ask me, like, if you know, if you see my mom, I, I'm not a person who can. I'm not the person who can look in a room and say, like, I can see this and I can see that over there. Uh, I certainly have met many, many people who who have that gift, and I, I believe it actually. But it it could be quite dangerous. Uh, he argues to get into it because the uh, the potential for um, tricksters and dark forces to engage in it. And you have to ask why too, because you can't take away your freedom. So you can't say, should I take this job or that job? Or should I, you know, move in? You've got to kind of just work through life and make your decisions and it'll, it'll flow that way. So that Rachel, you, you helped me help remind me that I didn't answer an earlier question. So thank you. Good. Yeah. Good. I think the movie are referring to is things heard and seen. It's a Netflix yes. production. And that's a quote from Swedenborg. Things heard and seen is his subtitle for heaven and hell. Ah, uh, check it out. Not a huge fan of the movie, but it's a, it's a very strange. But it's totally the the it's totally running Swedenborgian themes and memes. But um, but it, in any case, I it's it, it was I was disappointed. Um, other movies like What Dreams May Come evidently was quite influenced by Swedenborg. That vision of the afterlife, uh, I'd go with that more accurately. But the, this one was kind of interesting because it, it it actually is it's a it's a horror movie. So it has uh, the evil influences in it. So it's, it's, it's worth watching. Have to check it out. Well, we're probably getting to the end. I want to take too much time. Vance, do you have a quick question for Rich as we wind down our journey to heaven and back? Yeah. What do you think Swedenberg would think of the Gnostics? You know, here at Eon Byte Gnostic Radio, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, uh, we, we talk about Gnosticism sometimes. So, you know, the, the idea of the archons and so forth, do you think that's a little bit too much of the dark side um, and the demiurge? You know, uh, it, seems, it seems to me, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Swedenborg didn't see uh, the deity as, uh, as, uh, as dark as a Gnostic, Gnostics would. Yeah, no, he would see, it would see the, it would see the deity as light and then there's dark forces uh, working. But uh, so would, it's, it's more, in that way, I guess it's more traditional and that God is love and that yeah. there, are, there are definitely forces around uh, working. Um, but the Gnostics, if you go back to the, you know, the Gnostic gospels, for example, and the Gnostic teachings, the idea of, uh, the spiritual nature of, of our lives, our essence, that would very much align with it. Realizing that, you know, uh, we're, you know, to, to quote the, the song, we're, spirit, we're spirits in a material world. Um, that would be very much that our essence is spiritual, that our physical bodies are something we slough off and that our essence is spiritual and eternal. And uh, we're in a physical, we're in a physical space. And so Gnosticism in that sense, I think any, any spiritual, anything that emphasizes the spirit in a time of really overwrought 
consumerism, uh, materialism, and focus on the physical and, and kind of mocking that anything could happen after life, that, 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 like, that this is it. Um, I think those are all great things because uh, we are in a period of just, I think we're coming to the end of it, um, but it just, just radical materialism. And I think that has not worked well for people. And I believe that's one of the reasons we have so much of the mental health issues because it's not really who we are. Our essence is spiritual. Yeah, no master archon then, no master demiurge or king of evil or anything. No, that's interesting. That that actually is more of a traditional Christian view, but that for Swedenborg would be almost polytheism, like there's gods fighting. Um, or if, if you want to go back to Zoroastrianism, um, you know, yeah. had that definitely had that playing out. And Zoroastrianism had has had a huge impact, in my opinion. Uh, can't prove it, but on on Christianity and Judaism and uh, and the exile for for, for 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 Judaism, you see a lot of changes in Judaism after uh, certain periods of the Babylonian exile. And um, so I'm a big fan on, of reading Zoroaster uh, and the the Battle of Light and Dark in 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 those writings. Uh, that's all on to something, but it 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 plays out more as like Rachel was just describing that you've got these two forces at you, you know coming at you and, and what, what tools do you use in your life to, to think, but they're very real. They're very real. And, and in a way in our culture right now, by mocking that, and this is the kind of stuff that people roll their eyes at me when I talk about the most. Um, Cause I like, you know, you're like, you're a very well-educated guy. Um, you know, it's, it's too bad you're a minister. It's too bad. You're like, you hold on to these primitive uh, myths. Um, yeah. Superstition. Yeah. Like I can't, like people say that to me, you know, I, God, you're, you're, you're smart. You're a smart guy. And that you have this nonsensical, you know, I think well, so was Isaac coming. Newton and uh, Swedenborg. You can't right. meet smarter men in history. Thomas yeah. Jefferson. They were Albert Einstein. Oh yeah. Wolfgang they were, Pauli. Yeah. They were, all, they were all crossing over when the enlightenment and, and truth and faith were united at some point though, it was kind of declared that faith, and spirituality is childish mythology and all that we all that is is right here and now that's it this is it and that we in medicine we're gonna fight we can fight death through science and that's it and that's it you know there's no there's nothing more to it and um it's a very short period i think it'll be a short period in the history of the world but uh, i don't think it's working for people because there's so much unexplained including purpose and meaning can i ask one last question miguel Sure. All right. So, what, Rich, what would um, Swedenborg say about this phenomenon where thousands and thousands of people can walk by you, and you know, maybe you don't even look up, or you you don't notice, or feel, and then and then somebody gets in your force field, and it, it's like, wait, what? You know, what? I know, I know you, or you know, I am just like, what is this? You know, who is this? and a feeling that, that I know you. And I had that feeling when I first met you. So I'm curious about, about this phenomenon that happens I remember to that. us. And, it's, and we've remained very com- connected um, mm-hmm. with very little ac- per- personal activity, but I mean, I'm literally using your materials. That's one reason. But yeah, I felt that with you too. Um, I think he would explain it this way. He says that when we transition, we go to a world of spirits where we're kind of educated and we it's very loving and caring it's a transitional period almost like an ellis island kind of sorting you know and then you kind of choose where you want to go but where you go is to the community that shares the loves that you had what what your greatest passion is and when you get there that's it you're home and in fact you never really want to leave that group and you've been living with that group yeah on earth they've been connected to you they've been your cheerleaders they've been you know to some extent engaged with your life so when you go, you go home and that's comforted so many people who feel lonely now. And it's like, you really will be embraced and loved on this sphere. You will occasionally meet people who are on that same frequency for lack of a better phrase. And you can see it in their face. You can talk have a quick conversation and um, they'll have your back, you know, which is like kind of the measure on this sphere and uh, stick with you through thick and thin and um, not that transactional relationship I was talking about earlier that, that my city is famous for. And so I think that you, you make that transition, you're in that community. So I think you meet people in the sphere. And I look at my little church community, we're still very small, my goodness, but 
the people that I'm connected to accidentally walked in or met me at an event and came. It's just such a lovely group that really cares deeply about each other that, uh, you know, I wondered, I just thought to myself, two people from the Ukraine, and they're debating right now with their family how to get out, you know, and that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I wouldn't know, you know, here we, we could have a role on this topic today, um, but because they walked in and I didn't, I wouldn't know much about these kind of things, but here I have a chance to really help at a very personal level. So it's got that kind of thing, Rachel, I think where, where we meet people and it's uh, it's a connection and it, it's hard to, it's probably a spiritual community connection. Mm -hmm. Lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great questions. And yeah, maybe Swedenborg would say that the angels guided them to you. Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. If you're open to the guidance, if you just say, if you just start your day saying, you know, I want to be guided, I make me an instrument of your peace. Mm -hmm. People will come into your life, doors will open, and you'll shake off other people. That's the other thing. There will be a shaking off. <laughs> I warn people about that, but because it can be like a dark night of the soul, but you, there are certain people in your world generally that, you know, can be vampires and uh, they might need to be shaken off. But yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right, Vance. Awesome. Well, well said and appreciate all this wisdom. Well, we are at the end, so we should probably say our goodbyes. First, Rachel, thanks for once again keeping us company on this. Uh, great conversation, great questions. It's an honor to be included. So thank you. And thank you, Rich, for saying yes. I knew you'd say yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> because he thinks <laughs> we're all put in his path by God. So of course he's going <laughs> to say yes. No, I do say no to a lot of things, Rachel, but I just okay. sounds, I, I love what I love what uh, Miguel's doing here, Thans. And um, and you, of course you saying it was uh, how how important it was to you. I was gonna sell you extended warranty for your car, Rich, but I think I'll wait for the next <laughs> one. I was put in your life for that. No, just so awesome. No, it's been an incredible conversation. Vance, thanks for keeping us company too. Oh, I love this. This is great. Yay, Swedenborg. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yay, Swedenborg. Well, Rich, thank you very much. We really appreciate uh, your time and your wisdom and all that. And uh, good luck with everything. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And, and yes. same to you, to you. Good luck with your uh, conversations. We need more of them. Yeah, thank you.